Welcome to Art Bazaar, a podcast that chats with artists of all types to explore the depths of creativity. Brought to you by the Alternative Gallery. We'll be releasing new episodes every Wednesday with bonus episodes dropping randomly. If you like what you're hearing, you can support this podcast by going to thealternativegallery.com and clicking on the podcast tab. I'm your host, Brandon Wonder, creative director of the Alternative Gallery, a nonprofit arts organization in Allentown, PA, run through the efforts of dedicated volunteers. On this episode of Art Bazaar, I'm once again joined by my Alternative Gallery co-founders, Jay Echeverria and Rob Regal where we'll be discussing much of the going-ons in cinema and television, as well as some exciting project announcements the AG is taking on. Hello again, my dear friends. How are you doing on this lovely day? Doing quite well. Good, good, Trying to stay warm. Trying to stay warm? Yeah. I thought you were a descendant of Vikings. Mm, (laughs) Are the Germans a descendant of Vikings? I mean, I guess it depends on who you ask. I think think the Vikings made it everywhere. (laughs) They even made it here to America long before that Columbus dude. But anyways, you guys been watching any awesome movies or TV shows or anything lately? See anything fun or interesting? I've been watching a lot of stuff. I'm curious if you've been watching anything. I I just watched Asteroid City. That was amazing. Yeah. The new Wes Anderson film. Yeah, yeah. So good. It's, yeah, it's, it's weirder than his normal brand of weird, that's for sure. Which is saying a lot for how quirky his films typically are. It's like a, a movie inside of a play. It took me a minute to catch on to exactly what was going on. One thing, actually, and I know you'll appreciate this. One thing I appreciate about this Wes Anderson film is that he went with the old style of credits where he rolls like the main names before the film starts. And I was like, mm. oh, man. Jeff Goldblum play well okay and first off let me before I go any further like I knew the basics like anyone else knew about Asteroid City I didn't know any deeper into the plot than what the trailer showed you so all I knew is it was you know like kids going away camp in the deserts quirky 50s whatever and then I see Jeff Goldblum alien and I'm like oh man it's an alien movie there's gonna be an alien and the alien is Jeff Goldblum I don't want to give too much away I don't want to spoil anything but the first appearance of this alien there's no dialogue there's no much of anything and I believe it was like claymation or stop motion something like that so I'm like okay yeah they mix an animation there which was amazing yeah so I'm like all right so if that's all Jeff Goldblum came in and did for this movie that's either ridiculous or it's amazing i love it your comment right there reminds me of the first season of south park where comedy central told matt stone and trey parker you have to get a celebrity cameo voice and they got george clooney remember this no and instead of george (laughs) clooney voicing a character he voiced sparky the gay dog so they got george clooney just from to go you remember that yeah no it was brilliant it was so brilliant like yeah we're we're gonna give you what you asked for but not what you thought you asked for right yeah so i was very much in that same boat with this this first appearance of the alien thing and i'm like okay cool just gonna roll with that but yeah so throughout the whole movie that's kind of the they kept rolling with that same general feeling the whole time and like switching between them being on the this rehearsing for this play and then you know them being in the quote-unquote real world in the movie and yeah very intense and i definitely want to watch it two or three more times to really absorb everything this is saying a lot but i think it's his most well shot film and it's incredibly i mean the visuals are just so overstimulating if you haven't seen it yet also like i mean his prior movie before that uh french dispatch i loved that movie have you seen french dispatch Mm -mm. nope it's supposed to be like a new yorker type magazine that is going essentially out of business Bill Murray is the editor, and when he dies, the magazine goes defunct, 
and it's these little mini stories of all the people that work on the magazine, their columns, and they have these mini stories, these little mini films about what their stories are. Fascinating stuff. Nice. French Dispatch, which I know it's a toss-up of which one I like more, but I think I'm leaning more towards French Dispatch because, I don't know, that one really, really hit me hard. What's the name of the one that Rob was talking about? Asteroid City. Asteroid City. When did that come out? This year. Yeah, yeah. That's his newest one. So I just wrapped up watching Loki. I don't know if you two really watch too much Marvel, but the season two finale of Loki, the last two episodes were incredible. If you haven't checked it out, Loki's definitely one to watch. Nice. One of the most visually stunning series yet from Marvel. I don't follow it, but I must say I'm intrigued by the trailers. I get a lot of them because I guess I must watch stuff that's adjacent to to the Marvel universe. Well, you're a Star Trek guy, so the sci-fi elements Mm -hmm. are what they're targeting you on there. Yeah, yeah. So um, particularly like the the stuff that has Owen Wilson as um, was it Mobius? Mobius, that's Loki. Yeah, like I get a lot of the trailers where it's like Mobius and Loki interacting. And, yeah, uh, yeah, they have a great dynamic yeah. those two. And you know, someone again, Wes Anderson. That's where Owen Wilson came out of his his first really popular initial films that introduced him to Hollywood. It was so nice to have that character that he portrayed it just it felt like good old classic owen wilson that you don't get a lot of these days Mm -hmm. and i'm glad they brought him back into the fold so i know you're not really marvel fans but i wanted to mention that because that's especially the second last episode was fucking like mind-bending so i mean there's going to be lots of spoilers here for you guys but you're not planning on watching it are you i I mean not at any point where i'm going to be upset about knowing things about it so if you haven't watched loki you might want to go ahead a couple minutes here but there is a part where Loki is time slipping. So he's jumping back to the past, present, and future. And he isn't able to control it yet. And other characters, they start disappearing in time. And they kind of like turn into like time spaghetti. So like it's the multiverse. So all these different universes start just disappearing. And it shows this one scene in a record store with a variant of Loki, uh, which is a woman. And her name is Sylvie. And she just wants to live a normal life. She's tired of all the crazy shit. She gets this job at McDonald's. That's how much of a normal life she wants to have. And she goes and asks this record store owner for something that's going to like hit the sweet spot. And he gives her this record and he said, this is either going to cure what you got going on or it's about to make things a whole lot worse. So he has this listening station set up in the record store and at it is a couch. And she sits on the couch and puts on this record and she can't hear what's going on because she has headphones on. And the universe starts disappearing. And the store owner is running towards her to get her attention, to let her know this is happening. And she turns around as he is disappearing, and she's about to disappear. It is one of the most visually striking scenes I've ever seen. That sounds awesome. It was incredible. And then the ending, it's such an impactful ending. And then you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, you think it's a, a total dour, bad ending. And then the last episode... There's of course always something to make it right again. You right. know, it's a comic book movie. They can do anything. Right. But you think that like characters die and you think these characters are gone and then something happens where everything is able to be undone. It was fascinating. So if, if you haven't seen it, hopefully I didn't spoil it for you too bad, but it's still worth watching. That scene alone, Jay, I think you'd really appreciate it. No, it sounds cool. It was good use of music too. Nice. And they had nice. a shot above the record that was spinning with the record as everything was going on. Love so it. well done. I've just been rewatching Arrested Development. Yeah, the the first three seasons of Arrested Development are like pure gold. They're I'm so actually good. I'm actually about to break into season four. 
like into the extended universe. So it's not season four isn't too bad. It was because they had everything so separated. I never watched the remixed one. I've only seen the first two seasons. Oh wow! And I'm re- so I'm rewatching those, and then I'm fin- I'm gonna finish the whole thing. So did you start season three yet? No, not yet. Season three is great because they knew they were getting canceled by Fox, and like all bets are off. So it I is, heard it gets crazy. It is its most outlandish in season three. Okay. And then they try to kind of ground it more again in season four, the, the first Netflix season. But that's when everyone's schedules were so crazy, they couldn't really film together. So okay. they have like each episode is one character. Oh, okay. Which the whole dynamic is the family interacting with one another. You take that away, it's a different show. It wasn't bad. It's just right. fans waited. It was like close to a decade for that season and it was not what they had hoped. Gotcha. To the point that the, the creator of the show actually did a season four remix where they recut the episodes to make them, the characters kind of interact more. I never saw it. I heard it's better. But at that point, I was like, ah, I already saw it. You right. know? And then I think I watched part of the last season, five, I think it was. And I was like, eh, it's, I hate to admit it, but it lost its charm. I think they just took too long. I've heard it gets, yeah, gets it's, really weird. It's a bummer. Probably worth watching in the end. I think it will eventually come around. I'll still around. finish. Yeah, I'll still yeah. watch it. Let me know how it is when you get to it. Cool. And this is one I've been talking to Jay about because I'm always looking for those hidden gems of films, indie films coming out. And I was kind of intrigued by this BlackBerry movie. It's about the creation of the BlackBerry phone. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised I haven't heard about this. Glenn Howerton from Always Sunny, the guy that plays... Dennis. Dennis. Dennis, yeah. The guy that plays Dennis in Always Sunny, he is this... He's like a tech tycoon, and he's he finds the creator who's just this crappy little cell phone that wants to be something special but has no business sense whatsoever and kind of he spearheads it to become like a major tech innovation and what is kind of intriguing is first of all seeing Dennis outside of Dennis right <laughs> and he's bald yeah he's bald wow he has his head shaved like the traditional like you know top patch bald and just in the back he got some hair and i mean there are I don't want to say he doesn't have a lot of range, but you know there are some similar character traits to Dennis in this guy, but at the same time, it's fully its own. And it was way better than I expected. Way, way, way better. And I asked a few people about this, and so no one's really seen it. And I guess this was a common thing because they, they really dropped the ball with a theatrical release. So starting tonight, Monday, November 13th, they recut it as a three-episode limited series. So tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday... They're going to show the three episodes with, it's only like eight minutes of extra footage, mostly of Glenn Howerton just being like a maniac. <laughs> what platform is this on? AMC Plus or something like that. Uh, One of those. Everything's a plus now. Like, yeah, everything's a plus. Like, come just like, oh, whatever. You guys, yeah, whatever. I'm intrigued to see it again just because it was so fascinating. Like, again, wasn't at what I expected. It, it exceeded what I was hoping for in this film. And I want to see if it feels any different with this limited series. You, you didn't hear about it, Rob? No, no. And again, I'm surprised, you know, being that I work in the industry. Like, what's the what's the title of the actual movie? It's called Blackberry. Blackberry. Okay. Yeah, right on the nose. Wow. Yeah. Man. And now they retitled it Blackberry Limited Series. Well, a <laughs> whole lot of inventiveness with that one there. AMC Plus. Huh? I just rewatched over the weekend Social Network. For the, fir- for the first time? Rewatched. Rewatched. Oh, rewatched. Rewatched. I've seen it a few times now. Okay. You've seen it? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What do you think? What's your take on it? I like it. It doesn't, it doesn't, there's nothing about it that stands out too no? much. But I remember. How it's long? It's been a couple of years. How long? A couple of years since you watched it? 
yeah. You just watched it the one time? No, I've watched it maybe like twice, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, two or three times. So the reason I want to mention it is because like when that movie was first announced, I, along with a lot of other people, were like, what the hell is this? Why are they making this? Yeah, the Facebook movie. The Facebook movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, wait, it's being directed by David Fincher, the guy that directed Seven and Fight Club and Curious Case of Benjamin Button, a lot of other great films. Like, okay, this is intriguing. And then they announced who was doing the soundtrack. Remember who did the soundtrack? It was Trent Reznor. I was going to say Trent And Atticus Reznor. Ross. Right. And it was the first time that Trent Reznor scored a film. And the soundtrack is beautifully haunting. Such a good soundtrack. When I first saw it, I was super impressed because I had no expectations whatsoever. Right. And I was like, wow, this is not only, from what I understand, what I read, it's very much on the money for what happened. I mean, the opening scene is Mark Zuckerberg just being like, a total asshole, over-talking, his girlfriend breaks up with him, and then he goes into making the face smash thing where he compares, like, left girl left and the girl on the right who is hotter. Right, right, right. Very, like, you know, exploitative in that way. Right. And, of course, people love that shit. And do you remember Hot or Not? The website Hot or Not? It's a similar thing to that, <laughs> Hot or Not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But these were all the college girls that he stole their photos. Yeah, yeah. From the college servers. But, I mean, the movie's great. I wasn't moved by it as when I first saw it, which I've probably watched it like four or five times now, but I still do think it's one of the most important films of the 21st century because at the very least, Facebook is kind of like the thing that's defined the 21st century. Right. So it only makes sense that a film made about it, which was made very well, would also be as important. A couple of things that did stand out to me though, Army Hammer, remember him? He's the, uh, the guy that got canceled for being a sexual cannibal. Who is this? Army Hammer. His name is Army Nope. And last name Hammer. And he's the super tall guy. And he actually plays the Winklevoss twins. So he plays two different roles. And the CGI is starting to show its age a little bit with that. So I didn't notice it before. But, you know, one actor playing two roles, it was you were able to see it a few times now if you knew how to look for it. And the one thing that always bothered me, were, there was this one scene when they were outside and they're talking and they have like the breath from it being cold. Even at the time, I thought it looked so like fake and bad right and now right. it really stands out now it's like uh if you're gonna shoot a movie don't do that yeah it's just go somewhere cold make your actors actors suffer for a night who cares <laughs> it's better than seeing dumb digital breath forever because it you will notice it and for me it, it took me out of the moment now one of the reasons i wanted to mention social network is something similar is happening right now they're making an elon musk biopic which, of course, like everyone else, my initial reaction is, why the fuck would you make this? Which I realized was the same reaction I had to the social network, the Facebook movie. Have you heard about the Elon Musk biopic? Mm -hmm. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so give me your take on that. Let's start there. That's a good one, Rob. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder who they'll have play him. Darren Aronofsky is directing it. Requiem for a Dream. Mm. The Wrestler, Black Swan. Really? Yeah. So yeah, that that kind of tells me that it's not going to be the Elon Musk circle jerk that all of his little Tesla driving like fanboys are are hoping for. No, and like like I said, it feels very much like a repeat of Social Network, whereas everyone's like, "Why the fuck would you make this movie?" And then they make it because I'm sure it's not going to paint Elon in a flattering light, right? Because it's apparently based on that biography that just came out about him over the summer, which apparently again was not very flattering. 
And Elon actually seems to be on board, like happy that this is happening. It's like, oh, I hope they get the right person to play me or something like that. So, of course, that's what he cares about. But I mean, if it's going to be any kind of honest film, it's got to paint him as a total psycho or a maniac, right? I would imagine. Yeah. What yeah. would you expect to see in the Elon Musk biopic? I mean, the hostile takeovers of what was it? Let's see. He he scooped up PayPal. Uh, well, he was kind of one of the creators of PayPal, wasn't he? I thought like he jumped on after they had the idea going and he just infused a, fun, a bunch of cash into but it. But he made a fuck ton of money. But yeah, so like there was that, the solar company, Tesla, like all of the, basically all of the companies that he absorbed and is now like the face of, even though he wasn't necessarily the, the person at the ground level. I'd like them to go into a little more into his like childhood and like what kind of family he grew up in. I hope the whole movie is one long take of him just being an asshole in a board meeting. <laughs> I don't want a fucking backstory. I don't like just let's I want it as on the nose as possible. But I mean, Darren Aronofsky, he's he's one of the more, more interesting filmmakers for a long time. He was one of my favorite ones. I think it's because maybe he doesn't create enough films that I don't keep up with his work. I mean, I know I didn't see his mother film that he did uh, back in 2017. Now a film of his is playing at the Sphere in Las Vegas, that big round dome shaped thing. Yeah. Like postcards from the edge of the world. It's like this 18K movie that you can only see there. That sounds pretty intriguing. A long time ago, he said that he never wants to become typecast as one type of director. Every film he makes, he kind of wants to be totally different. So I like the fact that he's doing something like this. I have, I mean, I got no dog in this fight. Elon Musk, I ain't no love lost for Elon Musk when it comes to me. But I'm curious now. Aren't you a little curious? Yeah, yeah. With his involvement, put it this way. I, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. Okay. Absolutely. You want to go see it opening day, Jay? Opening day opening with you? Opening day in IMAX. A date. We can go watch it in the sphere and watch Elon's dumb biopic mug in 18K. <laughs> Only if we could take your Subaru and park it amongst all the Teslas. <laughs> well, we're rebuilding the engine, so it might be able to make it to Vegas by the time that shit comes out. <laughs> nice. So, you know... Elon Musk, I would at this point consider him kind of like a Bond villain or right. just a, a villain in general. But you know who's not a villain? Link from Legend of Zelda. He's definitely not a villain. Yeah. They yeah. just announced, they by they, I mean Nintendo, announced a Legend of Zelda movie. Oh, hell yeah. A live mm. action movie. Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of both Mario and Zelda, is the one creating it and producing it. Shit, right yeah what are your initial thoughts jay you didn't know about that did you yeah it's live action live action like we we all you and i loved the mario movie yeah yeah and even if they would have went that route it would have been incredible yeah, been awesome and i'm surprised they didn't considering the success of that both commercial success and just how much the fans loved it right but for some reason they're deciding to go with live action which i think is fascinating so interesting because i love zelda yeah, I wonder how grand they're going to go with it or like if they're going to have it like colorful and just like visually insane or if they're going to like really try to like mute it and kind of make it like as real as possible. Yeah, is it going to be like dark so like drawn and gritty, back. Yeah, like the Snyderverse? I, I want the colorful stuff, I'm not going to lie. Or is it going to be like the, the Thor movies directed by uh, Taika Waititi? Taika Waititi, which are just very colorful and yeah. all over the place. I wonder where they're going to go. Now, do I'm you, excited for it. Do you think it's better that they do an original story or try to like adapt one of the games? I mean, I think 
Going through like one of the games would be cool. One of the games? Yeah. What do you think, Rob? I know you're not a huge gamer. Not right? a huge gamer, no. But I think... You know, for someone who loves Star Trek as much as you do, it's shocking you don't like video games that much. You know, it's because when I wasn't watching Star Trek, I was outside with my bike. Okay, like, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. He was actually being a kid. <laughs> so you were a nerd and a jock at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go that Partially. far as calling me a jock. But okay, yeah. Um, You'll own the nerd, but fuck the jock, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, fair, uh, fair. So my take on this, not necessarily being a video game person, but knowing how the movie industry works and how like video game adaptations can sometimes go, I'm curious most to see who who plays Zelda and what is Zelda going to look like? That's the... Well, you mean Link? Link, excuse me. Link. See, again, I'm showing how much I don't... Link is the hero, <laughs> Zelda is the princess. Right, okay, which, so Link. Which, which Jay will love this reference. Robin Williams named his daughter Zelda after Princess Zelda because so he was such a huge fan of the game series. It's a fact, Jay. That's so sweet. I love that. You can, you can Yahoo that stuff. Nice. So <laughs> Link... Jeeves it. Yeah. Ask, you can go ask, ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I know enough about Zelda to know that Link is this sort of, like, tiny, almost like elven type yeah, person yeah yeah you know short not overly muscular like long blondish hair for the most part sometimes brownish maybe looking from zero to hero but yeah you know like tiny little character now like are they gonna butch this character up bulk them up w what level are we going who is this actor going to be you well know? adult link is pretty in shape it's when they do younger link that he's more what you describe okay yeah i wonder if they're gonna show like a child? They could. Play it depends Link, or what story they... Oh, so, so like, kid would be cool. Link's aging, and, like, is that part of the, the storyline in the video games? And I don't know if you can even do an origin story, because I don't think there is an origin story of, of Zelda and Hyrule. They have a Hyrule encyclopedia, which tries to lay out all the different stories, but there's different storylines like different almost universes and like one of the ones that i thought was really special was wind waker remember that one it came out for gamecube it was the yeah. one that looked like the animated the the, the shade itself mm -hmm. animation yep. that was it was almost like water world meets zelda mm -hmm. where the whole world was flooded and it was just like the tops of mountains and hills and stuff like that and you had a cruise around in this boat and you got to go you had this like cool hook that would go in the water and search for treasure and stuff like that i used to play that game endlessly actually when we first started the gallery and i moved back to pennsylvania i played it a lot i remember listening to true widow yeah and ha having w wind waker on mute and just blasting true yes, Widow. it was like it true went widow. together so perfectly nice Love I it. doubt they're going to adapt that one. I don't know. I don't know what I hope for. I don't know if I hope they go for an original or I almost hope they don't go for Ocarina on Time, though. Right. Because I feel like that's too obvious of a story. I mean, I I know that title, so yes, I, I think it is Nintendo too, it's 64. too obvious. Nintendo yeah. 64 was a big one for 64. All right, well, I'm going to mention one that I know Rob knows about. I am losing my mind over this, Rob. How good is that Ghostbusters trailer? Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about it. Super excited that, like, they, like, for anyone who didn't see the trailer, I'm going to spoil it, see the trailer. It's only the trailer, whatever. It's only the trailer. You can't spoil the trailer. Yeah. Um, but, like, they're back. The boys are back, and they're not shoving it in your face either. It's not like, oh, my God, the guys are back in New York. No, it's the the, the movie trailer plays out really well, shows you what's going to happen, and it's just like, oh, wait a minute, there's Dan Aykroyd. Oh, wait, there's Bill Murray. It's going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, so it's called Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, which was one of the rumored titles, which I thought was dumb, but it's grown on me a bit. And the trailer's great. It 
First of all, it starts off with just scenic shots of New York during the summer, which to me felt timeless. Like those same shots could have been in the 80s and 90s, could have been modern day, which I thought was really well done. I think it was a good creative choice because to me felt like the original. Mm-hmm. Like part of the reason I liked Afterlife was that it felt so different, even though they try to touch upon a lot of the similar concepts from the first movie while expanding on it. It's one of those legacy sequels where it's like a reboot and a sequel at the same time. They did it right, which most franchises can't get right. But I like the fact that this one's not only back in New York, but it has that vibe of the first movie. And like you said, they have the original Ghostbusters back, but it's like very subtle of a part of the trailer. They don't make a big deal out of it. Another thing that I like is there's a bunch of Ghostbusters now. Yeah. There's the original cast, which is still alive, Sans, Harold Ramis, my favorite, Egon Spengler, really, really depressing. But I like the fact that the filmmakers leaned into that and made a part of the story with the whole family. And the best part of all is Paul Rudd is a freaking Ghostbuster now. Like, they didn't try to, again, make that a big deal, try to hide it, try to have some big reveal at the end of the trailer. And I like how the trailer ends. Remember that shot where it's Egon's daughter and his two grandchildren, and then Paul Rudd's character, who was a teacher in Afterlife, the four of them are there at the end and they see the demon, the creature mm-hmm. coming at him with the crazy horns and Paul Rudd just like, ho, 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 like so scared but excited at the same time. That sums up perfectly my feeling. One of my dreams is to make a Ghostbuster film, even more than a Jurassic Park film, Ghostbusters. Crossover film. And I love the fact that they can now keep this franchise going for a number of years. They injected new life into it, which I think is not an easy task. Especially for a franchise that went, I think it was 27 years between sequels. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Between Ghostbusters 2 and Ghostbusters 3. 27 years. And they, in my opinion, they knocked a home run with that Afterlife film. A lot of people were like, oh, well, it's too, it's not, it's not similar like the first one. It doesn't have the vibe. It was like, but yeah, that's part of why it should exist, right? They earned this one bringing it back to New York. I think it was a smart choice to not do the third one in New York, but to bring it back. They had to earn that shit. Because remember, it was the post credit scene. Yeah, they teased where it. Where Winston comes back to the firehouse in New York. And you're like, oh my God, it's not a Starbucks like Dan Aykroyd said it was. So opening day, obviously we're going to be there. And I'm totally, I'm calling out Jay right now. Jay has not seen any Ghostbusters films. <laughs> not a single one. You got work one. to do. Not a you single got work one. to do before this one comes out. You know what? We're only going to let you watch a 2016 reboot, and that's it, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to take you to watch the new one, and you're going to have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I, I, always had this, I had this idea a while ago. I think I talked to you about it, Jay. I like the idea of someone giving a synopsis for a film that they've, they've never seen. Oh, my God. How cool is that, right? I love it. Okay, what's a movie you never saw? Now, give me a synopsis based on what you understand of it. I love right. it. So, okay, Jay, yeah. based on what you know about Ghostbusters, what is that movie about? No, uh, no, no, Ghostbusters 2. I don't know the difference between the first one and the second well, one. I just make shit up right now on the spot. I, I know one of them has like a marshmallow dude that comes. <laughs> I don't know if it's the first yep. or the second one. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to tell you. I want you, to, I want you to struggle through this, okay? I know there's four Ghostbusters, Okay, I think. You there's, know, you know what you think. <laughs> there's Slimer is the green dude. Okay. So, uh, That's they have correct. like backpacks that like suck. It sucks the ghosts in or something. Mm, no, no, I'm thinking the Casper. They suck the ghosts. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't got back. They're called proton packs. Oh man, I'm butchering this. An unlicensed nuclear accelerator. That's what it is. And they get a ghost trap which captures them. Right. What else do you know? Oh, I remember watching the cartoon. Not that I remember any of the plot, but I watched it when I was a kid. Well, and the cartoon is actually canon sequel to the second film. 
I don't know if every episode is, but they have episodes that are actually set up as sequels. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And actually. there are some, like the one with the, the boogeyman, which is one of the most famous episodes. There are some of those episodes of the real Ghostbusters that if they were translated into live action, they'd be like rated R. Yeah, they're dark. Well, the, yeah. the episodes hold up really well. I mean, the animation looks a little dated, but the writing was solid. Nice. I can't believe how good that series was. Yeah, I remember liking it when I was a kid. It's really good. And, of and then course, there was a character that had like a Nine Inch Nails shirt, and I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Well, then they had in the mid-90s, the sequel series, Ghost Extreme Ghostbusters. Extreme Ghostbusters, Where yeah. they had a bunch of diverse, young, new Ghostbusters, and Egon was like the mentor training them. Which, again, he was my favorite Ghostbuster, and Harold Ramis, the actor that played him, he unfortunately died from a rare blood disease. It was mm. heartbreaking. I think one of the last films he did was Knocked Up with Seth Rogen. Wow, that was one of his. Yes. Well, no, that, that he starred in, that he acted in. Okay. And in that, he plays Seth Rogen's dad. And if you notice in the film, if you go back and watch it, he never stands up because he was losing the ability to walk already at that point. And so he had to be seated the whole time. And it's, ah, it's heartbreaking. So, I mean, Egon was totally my favorite as a kid. So it was really, really depressing. But another thing that I'm super in love with that is being thrown at me in a major way is Godzilla. We got two super exciting Godzilla things coming up. One is this week. This Friday, they release a Godzilla TV show, which is actually set between the first and second Godzilla movies in the MonsterVerse series. One with, uh, it started in 2014 with uh, okay. Brian Cranston. Yeah. So it's set between the first and second film. It's called Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Okay, I have I've seen this. Yeah, so, yeah Monarch yeah, yeah. is a company that tracks all the kaiju and monsters around the planet, so we can show more of the inner workings of that. There's a bunch of new kaiju, which I think is amazing. So again, that starts this Friday, but then in December, there's a new Godzilla movie coming out from Toho called Godzilla Minus One. And Gareth Edwards, the guy who directed Godzilla 2014, he got to see it, and he talked about how jealous he was because it was so good. And he said any conversation about the best Godzilla movie has to contain this movie because it is that good. He was jealous of how good it was. Openly admits that it's way better than his, Mm -hmm. which is a hell of a statement because I thought the 2014 Godzilla was solid. I thought it was really great. So it's called Minus One because it's set right after the Second World War in Japan. So the way they have it is like Japan's already at zero because it just got, you know, bombed. Two atomic bombs there, wiped them out, struggling to rebuild after that. Then what happens? Fucking Godzilla shows up and destroys shit even further. So they go from zero to minus one. That's where the title comes okay, from. I like that. And that's produced by Toho. Last Friday was Godzilla's birthday. Happy no, birthday. November 3rd was Godzilla's birthday. How old do you think Godzilla is? 4,000. No, I mean the franchise. <laughs> 4,000. 69. <laughs> Eight. 69, the year of the kaiju. <laughs> So yeah, I think it's December 1st. IMAX is being released. I am so freaking pumped for that. So it's going to be a year of Godzilla. So lots of good movie stuff coming out. One good movie thing that potentially may not be coming out was something I was really looking forward to because it was offbeat was that Coyote versus Acme movie from Warner Brothers. The live action animation hybrid from Warner Brothers with the coyote and how he's always trying to catch the Roadrunner. And it was based off of a old New Yorker. It's a magazine uh, story from 1990. It was this fictionalized story where they, obviously it's a cartoon, it's fictionalized. But they, they kind of went in further where there was a court case of Coyote versus Acme. Because I believe it was, he would always spend money on these gadgets to catch a roadrunner, but they would never work. Yeah. Right. So they, they made a whole movie about this starring John Cena. Sounds so great. And the movie was finished. And then speaking again of Bond villains, David Zaslav 
who is the current CEO of Warner Brothers. This guy is a maniac. Let me show you a photo of David Zaslov. Tell me this guy does not look like a James Bond villain. And this is his official portrait. That's a Bond villain. A, yeah. A, a tech Bond villain. Oh, absolutely. Him he, and Elon Musk can really do some damage together. Yeah, like he hangs out in a volcano lair. So, so <laughs> this guy has now been accused of being anti-art by many artists and filmmakers, myself included. I agree with that statement, and I'll tell you why. The reason he did this was to save Warner Brothers $30 million as a tax write-off. The budget was only $70 million, which let's talk about major motion pictures now only having a $70 million budget. That's nothing. That's mm-hmm. like a low-budget film at this point. Yeah. And they were only getting $30 million in tax write-off. My first thought is, you guys really didn't believe that this film would have made at least $30 million? Were you just trying to save yourselves the time and trouble? Now, of course, the film didn't come out and no one saw it, but a lot of the people who worked on it said it was so amazing. It was the best animation, live action hybrid since Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Big statements. I was going to say, big, 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 big statements, right? We don't know because we haven't seen it, but I'm sure it was pretty interesting at the very least. Because remember when this was announced, it was like, wow, this is intriguing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, of course, when they announced they were doing this, everyone lost their mind. They started, like I said, accusing Warner Brothers of being anti-art accusing David Zasloff of being anti-art. And filmmakers and artists were kind of teaming up. And as the AV Club said that they, Warner Brothers got bullied into undoing that decision. First of all, you know, you, you don't bully the powerful. The powerful bully the weak. That's how yeah. bullying works. Right. So what happened is people got pissed off and Warner Brothers decided they were going to do the right thing. Now, the right thing in this situation, they didn't decide, okay, we're going to release it. They're going to try to shop it around and sell it so a different company can distribute it. Now, when you think of Warner Brothers, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Looney Tunes, yeah. So Warner Brothers, which is iconic because of Looney Tunes, is going to allow someone else to release a Looney Tunes film. Oh, fuck, dude. That makes no sense. Look, I get it. This is a business, but the art comes first. And they're finding out now, thanks to the internet, when the art doesn't come first, you're fucked. People will eventually stop supporting you. Look at the Sonic situation. The Sonic situation, yeah. <laughs> where, where they had the uh, the weird face on Sonic. Yeah. And the internet was just like, no. They were not happy. That was <laughs> no. one of them. was like, what is this? Yeah. What it is no, this? It made no sense. Why fuck with a good thing? You're, you're like, <laughs> it's not that you're ruining my childhood. It's that I have this image burned in my brain, and now you make me feel like I'm living in an alternate dimension. <laughs> to say Why least. would you do that? And, I mean, fortunately, that was a situation where the internet was very, very, very right. Oh, absolutely. And thank God they listened. And I think even some of the uh, the filmmakers and, and digital effects artists were like, thank God that happened because we hate it how it looked. Oh, wow. So what are your thoughts on the Warner Brothers situation here regarding this film? Like you said, you, when you say Warner Brothers, what do you think of Looney Tunes right away? So something that's so special, like something that's being compared to like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that should stay with Warner Brothers. I know. There's like no integrity. None anywhere. whatsoever. And- there's a lot of different lists of the most profitable movie studios of all time. I don't know where some of them are getting this information, but many of the lists I saw obviously had Warner Brothers in the top five. Some lists I saw had Warner Brothers as the highest grossing movie studio of all time. They own Barbie, so they're rolling in Barbie money right now. Which is funny you mentioned that because the original date that Barbie was released on was, was supposed, supposed to be, to be yeah. when this film was released. 
It's like, all right, you guys wow. just made an unexpected billion dollars on Barbie, which was incredible, by the way. I so loved fucking it. good. Was so surprised, visually striking. I love that there was apparently a shortage of pink paint in the world because of Barbie. <laughs> you made a billion dollars in this movie. You can take a chance with a little art film like this. You shouldn't even call it an art film, but it has to be called that. Like, it is the heart and soul of Warner Brothers, and you want to just ditch it just like this? So yeah, fuck David Zaslov. I cannot support Warner Brothers. I got rid of my HBO Max because they have HBO as well. We mentioned this in one podcast. How do you drop HBO from the title of HBO Max? Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> and I've been reading from PR folks who've been writing articles about how difficult it is to brand some just like Max. Just like what, again, Bond villain number one, Elon Musk calls Twitter X. How do you brand that? And what is this dude's obsession with X? Is he like, did he get a treasure map as a kid and never find the treasure? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? What is his obsession with X? He just wants to seem ominous. SpaceX. I mean, he has the Tesla Model X. He keeps putting X in everything. I always feel like Teslas look like they're unfinished. Like the actual design of a Tesla, they just look not all the way thought out. Yeah, I mean, the cars have gotten a lot better, but this truck looks like absolute dog shit. I don't think I've seen the truck yet. Oh, the Cybertruck. Oh, so, I, I was watching the videos of it trying to go up like a, a slight incline and couldn't do it. I, I have a hard time believing that that's what it's going to look like when it comes out. It's like, coming, that's out, be it's coming out in like a week, dude. No. Yeah, it, comes, it releases either this Friday or the following Friday. Look it up right now. It's like if someone took a regular truck and turned the resolution all the way down. <laughs> yeah, it's like everyone was comparing to like PlayStation That's 1 graphics. That's not real. That's real. That's yeah. real. That's a real thing. That's not real. It's oh, yeah. Elon being a fucking troll is what it is. If you think that's great, Jay, you're going to love the video of him demonstrating the bulletproof windows at the unveiling of the truck. Oh my God. Yeah, for it to just immediately be smashed. <laughs> this looks insane. It's real. That's a real thing. And you're either... I don't know why I'm surprised. And there's two camps in this situation. You're either an Elon bro that thinks everything he does is God's gift to the world, to the universe, to the multiverse, or you're normal people and you're like, what the fuck happened to this guy? He had all the potential in the world and he made so many of us who were concerned about him being able to turn into a villain correct. Because, I mean, look what he's done with Twitter. One of the first things he did when he took over was reinstate Trump's account. Now he removed on news articles. They removed headlines. Oh, yeah. You, so there's no wow. headlines on news articles anymore. You just see it's ridiculous. What? Yeah. So I've when, never been a Twitter user, so like I don't. So when he bought Twitter in October of 2022, he spent $44 billion. It's now valued at $19 billion. So that, that lost $25 billion in valuation in one year because what this guy is doing and now because he's doing this he's not focusing on spacex and tesla and his what open ai which he's no longer president of it still is involved in some capacity and the boring company which was like huge for a summer yeah like all like making hyperloops yeah all dude public transit like these guys are going so far out of the way to redevelop public transit we had this technology in the 1800s yeah what like this isn't progress (laughs) But it's like, you know, this is this is all a huge distraction from the point of where we need to be going. And I don't know. It's just, it's disappointing because who else is going to be such a central figure like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg? Like, we keep having these almost heroes who turn out to be these villains. Luckily, they're not super villains. They're just... Not yet. Not yet. That's the scary part. Yeah. If Elon goes full on bald... Yeah, no, we're fucked. He's definitely going to be the next Lex Luthor. We're fucked. Yeah, we're in serious trouble. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens with this biopic. Maybe he'll uh, try to buy that and cancel that before it comes <laughs> out. 
And Alex made a good point when I made the comment to him that Warner Brothers is considered one of the highest grossing studios of all time, and in some cases, the highest grossing. And he said that's probably why it changes hands so often, because these companies buy it thinking they're going to make a bunch of money on it, and they keep selling it and selling it. And because what AT&T owned it before, then AOL before that, and Time Warner before that, and now it's Discovery owns it. Like, what? How is this getting passed around like this so much i was reading this article it's like if you're going to automate anything automate the role of ceo <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah ceos make on average 400 times more than workers if you want to save some money instead of canceling films that are already finished and destroying artwork how about you just get rid of your own job if you're so sincerely set on your investors and the bottom line you're the real problem right right Let's see how much David Zaslov made last year. Warner Brothers Discovery chief David Zaslov pay package topped $39 million in 2022. Jesus Christ. Dude. So he tried to destroy a movie to get a $30 million tax write-off, which was still less than he made last year. Fuck this so guy. Fucked, yeah. Fuck you, David Zaslov. I know that one day I want to try to work in Hollywood and you want to play nice with the executives because these are the guys that give you the jobs. But fuck this guy and fuck everyone that thinks this guy is doing the right thing because he's not. Yeah. And the way things are going, he'll be long gone by the time you're working in Hollywood projects. Like it doesn't seem like he's going to hang around very long. Well, this is the third movie he's canceled now. Yeah. He canceled that Batgirl movie, which apparently wasn't all that much of a loss because it wasn't great. But it was a return of Michael Keaton as Batman, Mm -hmm. which apparently they had again in that Flash Flash movie, movie. which again had its own problems, so it wasn't really widely seen. Then he canceled a finished animated Scooby-Doo movie. Both of those happened in August of last year, right after he took over. And now this. So I think people were a little pissed off when he canceled those first two, but now with this one, they're like, you know what? Enough's enough, man. I think there's going to be some backlash from the board of directors now with Warner Brothers because he may be saving them some money now, but he's doing long-term damage. And any executives and board of directors should pick up on that immediately. Be like, you know what, dude, you better pull back really quickly. And of course, he was one of the guys that was involved in the writer strike and SAG actor strike and was being an asshole a lot of the time. So this guy isn't doing anything good for these guys. It's just that's that's another thing too that I'm surprised they're cutting any films right now because most studios are going into like um, like an IP drought from people not acting for and not writing for so long they don't have new content to put out which is you know why people like Amazon and them are are can't wait to get their hands on this on this Warner Brothers movie you'd think that you know they'd be wanting to put every possible finished piece of product they have on Max and into the theaters so that they have something to offer IP was more more recently the main thing that studios chased but now it's just content they want cheap content and they don't care about theatrical releases they want it on streaming sites which is why we got to be choosy about like what we're watching and how we're watching it because in the end it is going to impact art and it's going to impact what is being made and released so if they stop doing theatrical releases we're kind of screwed because then that means all we get is whatever crap they want to dump on a streamer yeah, IP is everything. That's another point that Alex made. You know, Looney Tunes is probably one of the most sought-after IPs on the planet. Why would you cancel that? You know what? John Cena should just went and whooped his ass. You know, when jo- John Cena's only reaction when this happened was, I guess he put up the title card at the end of Looney Tunes shorts, the end. Yeah. He just posted that with nothing. Like, that's a bitch move. Like, you're, you're a wrestler. You're a jack dude. I know your PR people and your publicist and your manager are telling you to play it cool. But come on, man. You're a voice. And he's the main actor in this film. 
Right. I would not have taken that lying down. I don't care who was telling me what what jobs it would have impacted in the future. If you spent time making art and something you were proud of, you should talk some shit, right? Right. So bringing it back closer to home, the AG has been nice and busy lately. We Is just he? came off uh, a double event week, and I don't know about you guys, but I am freaking exhausted. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons the three of us are doing this podcast, because we're taking uh, no shows this weekend. We have a nice, rare weekend off, so there's no events or anything to tie this episode into. So we thought, let's talk about all this fun movie stuff that we just want to discuss, or I wanted to talk about, at least in general. I love this stuff. But I also wanted to discuss kind of some of the things that are coming up. So I guess before we get into what's coming, why don't you tell me, Jay, what your experience was like at that show this past weekend, at the fashion show? Oh, it was awesome. It was it was cool. I, when I came in, it was like there was already people like in the hallways and... The models getting ready and and the DJ doing his thing. And it's like always nice to come into like stuff happening, knowing that it's going to be a big show before, like way before the door even opened. Yeah, the event overall was awesome. Yeah, we had Alexa who did the last episode of the podcast. It was her and Natasha who hosted it. They had four designers. Two were from Philadelphia. One was from Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Okay. And then we had six performers, which basically all friends of ours, people we already knew amazing musicians here from Allentown who were all so thrilled to be a part of it. And I believe there were 24 models. Nice. So just people involved in the show alone, it was like over 50 people, I think. Nice. Shout out Rosie. Yeah, Rosie. Oh my God, the voice of an angel. She is incredible. Absolutely amazing voice on her. She also was the one that kind of started the impromptu jam at the one artist takeover. Remember that? Awesome. I think you might have missed that that part where that, that happened. You might have left early. Yeah, they sold they sold almost a hundred tickets. Yeah, it was a lot of nice. people before here. the show. It was a lot of people here. They went way past a hundred tickets sold at that event. I mean, you're talking about ninety pre-sale tickets alone. We didn't Amazing. even have enough chairs for the pre-sale tickets. We ran out of chairs. It was a huge event. Very very busy. A lot of stuff going on. I know Rob and I busted our ass on that one. Yeah. Particularly we, on that stage. Well, we did a lot of fashion shows in the past before the pandemic, but we never built a catwalk. So Rob and I were talking after I initially met with Alexa and I asked her about the idea of a catwalk and she was into it. And then I asked Rob about it. He's like, yeah, we just do a similar concept to how we built a stage initially and we can make it so it's removable. So the catwalk is just as durable and sturdy as the rest of the stage, but can also be removed with probably 10 minutes, right? Take, uh, taking those cop, couple top layers off, removing it. 10 yeah. to 15 minutes. 10 Rob 15 and I, minutes with a team of two. Yeah, with two people. Rob and I can knock it out in that yeah. time. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, it's and awesome. it worked out amazing. So we did that. We redesigned the set for that event specifically. I feel like the backdrop has become iconic. Oh, totally. You know, even with the the garden and sewer person show, someone did a clay model out of it. Dude, it was so cool. And to then see they that. photographed it and made a big photo backdrop for it which to me is like wow this set has now become iconic in its own way which i love and it kind of pained rob and i to have to remove the head of it Mm. but we had to because in order for the models to enter the clearance on the bottom of the mouth because it was it was designed to walk out from the floor right not on steps gotcha they would all hit their heads gotcha so we kind of had to remove it. So we're like, all right, this is a this is a fun chance for us to try something new. I think it went great. I think it looks cool. I think it went yeah. really great. Yeah, it worked out really well. We're even gonna mark the drapes that we use. We're gonna mark them for like what location they go, what number they go, so that if we ever do this, it's we don't have to try to piece it together. We're gonna Perfect. be very on top of things moving forward. We got those cheap LED strip lighting for the edge of the stage which looks cool but i I, it sucks it's so cheap though 
Yeah. Because we got a roll of it. Fortunately, it came with two rolls, but the one I was peeling the the back off so you can get to the adhesive part. Right. And it ripped in half. It ripped the light in half. Oh, yeah. Those things are cheap. It's so cheaply made, which was a bummer. So we weren't able to wrap the entire stage, but it still looked phenomenal. I didn't get a chance to buy that second light, but we should still do that. Everything looked great. I, I was really thrilled with the event. And then early in the week, we had the Dusty Can screening, which was the culmination of about six months of work. Right. From us discovering the films, raising the money. And that was a crazy time we raised the money. Remember, we started the fundraiser only a few days before we went to Asheville, yeah. which we had that trip scheduled long before. So we started the fundraiser. A week later, we're in Asheville. We're in Asheville. My dad dies. So it was like this huge mash of things going on at one time. We successfully got the money, and then we had to go get the films. Yep. And that was, oh my God, man. Give me your experience of getting those films, Rob. I want to hear from your perspective. Uh, so it was, I would say, what, at least like an hour, hour and 15 minutes away in a U-Haul van. And then like we show up at this like salvage yard or like junkyard in the middle of the woods. It was more like someone's private hoard of junk. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, in like trailers, and there were just old cars lined up in the bushes. I remember when we first got there, there was like a little bit of like heated negotiation over how it was all going to go down. Like they wanted us to just take everything and not look through anything. or They were going to tell us what to take, and they didn't want to let us go through anything. I remember you saying like, no, that wasn't the deal. That's not what we talked about. Well, even before that, they were really weird because they wanted me to give them cash. Mm. It's like, dude, we're giving you $5,000. I'm not giving that to you in cash. And I'm not going to get whatever half-assed receipt you give me. I'll give you a check. They're like, oh, we don't want a check. You're going to give us a bad check. I'm like, well, I'll give you a check and you go cash while we're here. It's going to take us all day to get these films. They're like, no, we want a bank check. And when you get here, we want to call to make sure sure the bank check is legitimate. I'm like, you guys are being ridiculous. You can, we we did a very public fundraiser. You think we're going to screw you over like this? There are a lot of eyes in this project. We're not going to pull a fast one on you. We got the money. Indiegogo took like a thousand dollar cut out of that. We we originally oh, we originally raised about seven thousand dollars. Indiegogo took almost a thousand dollars out of that. Jeez. So that left us with Man. about six thousand. We spent five on films, and then we had to buy a bunch of other stuff like cans and stuff like that. So we blew through that money very quickly. And then yeah, we get there and they were like, Nope, you count the amount of films that equals what you're buying and you blindly take whatever you want. It's like, look it, I just handed you a big check. The store is open to me for as long as I want. We are shopping in private here. Let us browse and buy what we want. And they, yeah, we we almost packed up and left. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, we almost left before we even started going through stuff. It was that bad. Then they only wanted us to take certain films and certain trailers. I'm like, I'm shopping. I'm allowed to buy what I want to buy. So yeah, it was a difficult process. And then, remember those trailers? Like, dude, there were holes in the freaking trailers. They were were getting rain in them. Some of them were like, like getting in and out of that was hazardous. Yeah. Some of that, I guarantee you, some of that in a year or two, if it's still there, they're not going to be able to get to those films because those trailers are going to collapse or something is going to fall onto them and they're just going to become part of the earth. And fortunately, those films didn't sit out in those trailers for very long. Otherwise, by the time we found them, they would have already been too far gone to salvage. And a lot of them, even when we got back, they were in worse condition than we had hoped. But there were ones that still had good color that were in really good shape but the reason we called the dusty cans was these these things were so dirty i mean dust was the best thing we could have found on these some that were mildew there was mold yep there were labels that you couldn't even see anymore because they were so moldy fortunately the cans kept the mold out and also fortunately it wasn't a very hot summer so our concerns our fears of everything being destroyed 
weren't as severe as if it would have been a normal summer here, but definitely having them sit out in that whole summer, they got some serious damage to them. Alex and I are considering maybe going out and picking through now that we've gone through a lot and know what to look for. And because it's not just those films, but the film racks, Mm -hmm. the film racks. Now they can sit out there basically forever. As long as they're not getting actual rained on, they're going to be fine because even those racks are getting hard to find. We opened up that whole other film archive room now that has a lot of space for us to add more stuff in. And we're not going to just casually find film racks like that anywhere and who's going to make stuff like that yeah and if we could buy that stuff for 100 bucks 200 bucks it's better than us having to diy it up because these were meant just for that specifically so we spent the summer organizing it going through it curating a block and alex i think put together three incredible reels of films i know jay you had to leave during the third reel but what did did you think of the reels you did see jay it was cool my favorite was the i want to say it was the first of the animation was right after the guy was making like mouth noises yeah 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 and it showed like colonization and then showed like that was called boomsville mm-hmm. fucking cool, that was dude. when we discovered um so i don't cool. think we have a second copy of that yeah it was basically about settlers coming to america meeting native americans signing a treaty with native americans and then just destroying the landscape and there was that one part where it shows them there's this beautiful like victorian building mm. and they knock it down and they put up a parking garage i'm like shit it's allentown yeah yeah I thought of, I was like, oh my God, this is Allentown. And then remember how it ends? It goes into space and sees us doing the same thing on another planet. It's so, it was so good. Yeah, with aliens. It was so well done. And it, it's, it's one of those timeless films that was made in probably the early 70s, late 60s. And it's just as relevant now. Yep. If not more relevant if now. If not more relevant. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, overdevelopment is much worse than it was even back then because population has, in the title, it's boomed, Boomsville. So that one was really good. And then we, so we did three film reels. The first one was a half hour. The second one was 45 minutes. And the third one was also a half hour. And then we dropped in some like trailers and music. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. And it was, we didn't list those. Those were all like secrets. They were surprises, which is really cool. Those things we already had in our collections. They weren't from the collection that we saved. And then the intermissions were, the first one was us getting the films. Yeah, that was yeah. really cool to see. Yeah, which I think we should post that online. And then the second intermission was just little clips of actual home movies and things that we have in our archive just to showcase what's in there aside from the films we had just saved. So I I was really, really happy with that screening. I know the Amaze Theater wants to do a lot more. I thought it was amazing, too, that we got to bring back a film projector into the Amaze Theater, which hasn't had a film projector in there for over a decade. That's really cool. Yeah, Yeah. that was really neat. So we're talking about eventually maybe putting like a permanent one in there and running features. I mean, Kung Fu films on 16 millimeter. How cool is that? That'd be cool. And there's a lot of weird, obscure stuff. So yeah, we have a light weekend this weekend. Nothing going on. We have an exciting announcement coming up about the future of Alternative Gallery. We work with a lot of young artists, just like that event we had this past weekend. Tons of young artists who are just excited to collaborate and work together on various projects. And, you know, it's difficult for younger artists to get their start. And it's also difficult for artists to afford a full-time studio. It's not the cheapest thing in the world, right? For obvious reasons. So we are launching a resident artist program on January 1st, 2024. It's going to be a pilot program for six months for us to figure out exactly what we need to do to help these young artists get their start. So essentially what's happening is the Alternative Gallery is getting a bunch of studios from our property owner here at Cigar Factory at a vast discount. And we're going to pass that discount on to our young artists and we're going to make things a lot easier for them to get in here and it's not just a rental situation because obviously these artists need workspace but we want to help them with training various aspects of their arts or creative endeavors 
And we also want to make additional workspace. Like one of these artists can come up to Rob and be like, I want to learn how to fix bikes. I want to learn how to build a table. And Rob can show them. Yeah, absolutely. They will have full access to my knowledge in the shop downstairs. You know, like a lot of the things that most artists don't really have access to, they'll have the opportunity to, to take advantage of those things here at the gallery, you know, here at the Cigar Factory building. So Jay, how do you think the resident artist program is going to benefit local artists or even visiting artists? I think the community that's going to be built, it's something that we've been waiting for for a while. And I definitely feel like it's coming, especially with the resident artist program. It's going to bring new life into the building that's needed for a while. Absolutely. And we've never made it any secret that our intention is to eventually purchase the building we're in. I mean, for me, it's been very special to do what we do here because it's the neighborhood I grew up in. Like I've told many people before, my grandfather used to work on the third floor of this building. So for me to be here doing what I'm doing, it is very, very special to me. And for someone that came out of this neighborhood to be able to run this building, I mean, you don't hear about that often. And for us to keep that accessible to the young artists that are coming out of this neighborhood, coming out of the city, coming out of the valley, or wanting to visit the valley, that's incredibly important. Again, it starts on January 1st. We have a few artists already for the initial batch, but we are open to bringing more artists in for this program. If you're interested in being considered as a resident artist at the Alternative Gallery, you can go on our website, thealternativegallery.com. There is a form you can fill out. You put all your information, some links to your work. It gives you a description of what the program is, how it can benefit you as an artist, what our expectations are. Just drop that info in there. I would say do it as soon as you can because being that it's a pilot program for those first six months, we don't want to get too many artists. Right. What do you expect to come out of this, Rob? How do you how do you see this unfolding? So for us, I think it's going to be great to have fresh faces in the building and, you know, people getting involved, getting people involved on a newer level in the, in the building and us moving on to that next stage for the gallery where we are taking more responsibility in the building and we are bringing more resources to bear that are going to help grow the arts community in Allentown and, you know, specifically in the immediate area around us. So yeah, I'm I'm super excited to see exactly what happens. I'm excited to see, you know, a bunch of new artwork in the building. This popped into my head when you mentioned about them coming down to the shop to ask me for something. I'm interested in collaborating with some of these people to see, you know, what they bring to the table and what we could possibly do together. What kind of ideas they're going to bring for me. There's this burst of new energy that's coming into the gallery that we haven't felt in a while, and I think a big part of that is the timing of the pandemic and how long it really took us to come out of that. You know, we were shut down for two years during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Rob and I, we were kind of at the forefront of that with deciding when to do shows, how to do shows, how often, because after having your doors locked in the public for two years, it was kind of terrifying to just let people back in this building. We didn't know how events were going to go. We didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And frankly, I was over a lot of the show promoters we were working with because I, I felt a lot of them just they didn't align with our values or maybe weren't doing things for the right reasons. Like it wasn't even that some people weren't bringing out crowds. Like I would rather work with the right person who doesn't have huge shows and help them build them up. Than Definitely. We're not in it for the money. We're here to nurture something. And that takes time. We get that. But I felt a lot of the people we were working with back then, they weren't into that. They just wanted to throw an event and throw a party almost with, you know, oh, I'm in a band and my friends have bands, let's party. Okay, that can work in some situations, but I don't think that's really what we're going for long term. Right. And now because we had those two years closed and a slow year or two after that, again, being very, very careful about what we do and when we do it. And let's be honest, we got used to working on our own stuff again. And every time we have an event, that means we pause 
our work. I can't work on my films. You can't work on your paintings. Rob can't build or create whatever he's working on downstairs. So we have to kind of find that nice balance of when we're doing stuff and when we're hosting events. So now that we have certain people coming into the fold that are doing things properly, I think are aligning with their values and they're just, I feel, doing it for genuine reasons. It's extremely exciting to have all these new people coming in. And I think they're going to be the next wave of AG. Definitely. It's almost like the next generation in a way. We have we have stuck it out that long that we now have become in the eyes of college kids, even high school kids, recent college grads. We've become kind of an institution in a good way. Right. right. Institution, but raw at the same time. Like we've been around long enough for people to realize we're not going anywhere and we're doing things for the right reasons, but we're not going to operate the way that something like the art museum might operate. Not to knock it, but that's not how a lot of our artists need to be supported. Having something like like cocktails and collecting, one of any year per artist just doesn't cut it. We need, we need more than that. Yeah. And our ultimate goal isn't to make money off these artists. It's to provide opportunity for these artists. What kind of opportunities do you think this is going to produce, Jay? Or Rob, either one of you. Aside from collaboration, like how will this benefit artists from being in Allentown long term? I mean, I think it's going to give people an idea, like a like a sense of home or like a a home base for people to come and gravitate towards this. You know, they'll come and they'll gravitate towards us when and if they're ready to establish themselves as an artist in the area. So now that there is that that anchor space for people, I think it's going to bring them together naturally. And they'll be able to help to develop something and build something better because there is somewhere where they can actually interact by chance. They don't have to go out of their way to try to plan a time to meet with other artists now. It can happen organically here. Yeah, Jay and I are doing some heavy nodding. Saying, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. As, yeah as, as an artist here, it's, it's absolutely true. It is like an anchor spot because when I have meetings with collectors or gallery owners or even another artist, this is the place that we come to is the place that I meet these people at. Yeah, it makes you seem more legitimate as an artist, as a person, Mm -hmm. as a business person. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's such a massive, impressive place to bring people and say, yeah, this is where I work. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things we've really discovered over time is people that rent here more often than not, they're coming because of the sense of community. 100%. Not just because they need space, especially with young artists. Like young artists, they're kind of, they're designing a way to deal with having to create in whatever environment they have, whether it's their dining room table, even though it's totally a pain to have to pack their stuff up for dinner only to get it back out again or in their bedroom. They'll do it. They'll yeah, fit it in I've wherever been there. they have to. I've done it. So yeah. it's, it is a luxury to have an art studio. It's not a necessity. It's a luxury. We understand that. And we also understand because artists don't necessarily make their money here within the city that they can't really support the cost of having a studio. And that's kind of what this program is built around. We want this, we want artists that are in this building to benefit off being in this building, not it cost them money. And right, right now, because you're going through a real estate company in New York that is just really after profit, let's be honest, that's what it is. And they're not involved with the art community. They're doing a background check and a credit check. That's it. You're in. No portfolio review, no interview, nothing like that. And we found out earlier this year, I'm not going to say who the artist is, we had an artist that came in night one, trashed their studio. Yeah, that was wild. And this dude had perfect credit, great credit. 
So great credit doesn't mean anything. Absolutely not. And I've had so many degenerates in the eyes of the business side of things that have low, bad, or no credit, and they've been like the greatest people in the of world. Of course. Yep. You know, and credit scores were just started in 1989. Stupid. It's a new thing. It's like anytime you pay off credit and your credit score goes down, that's a dumb system. You know, if anything, I feel like people with with lower credit should be higher on the the priority list when it comes to rentals because, like, they don't have shit. They're going to be more likely to cherish what you're giving them and to take good care of it and to, you know, find it special. Whereas some kid with daddy's credit card that's never had to pay his own bills in his life or whatever, you know, I don't know that dude's situation. But someone who's got good credit can afford to be a little loosey-goosey with that kind of stuff. And, you know, who gives a shit if something gets broken? It's not mine and blah, 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 blah. Well, the way the business world sees it is if you have bad credit that you're going to be a risk as far as not paying rent on time. But the way I look at it is like you have a legal contract. This person doesn't pay you what they owe you. You have a legal contract that will easily go in your favor. Just take them to the magistrate and get the money. It's not that hard. They want to automate everything as easy as possible. And it's all about liability. Nobody wants to be liable for anything. So there's resident artist program. We think it's going to be kind of like an incubator where we help artists get their feet on the ground solid and get their start making their living as an artist. That is the the genuine focus of this. So it's a six-month pilot program we're starting. We plan to continue it, but it's those initial six months are for us to figure out the best ways to do it because it is a new thing. We've tried like little versions of it in the past, but this is going to be now a full-time dedicated version, which I think on the molecular level of the arts here in this area is like what's most needed. Like we need to get that issue fixed before we start getting more vending and gallery opportunities because if artists aren't connected in with the art community, it's going to be harder to get support for those things anyways. Another thing we're working on is we're working to bring back our animation festival. Animation fest. Open yes, World Animation Fest. This is something that it was a personal project of Jay and I for a number of years. We started it in 2015. 2015. 2015 was the first year. We held it here at the Alternative Gallery. The first year, we didn't charge animators anything to submit. We just wanted to have a cool showcase of animated films from around the world. And we were just going through the submissions today, Jay. The first year, we had over 1,200 submissions. But remember, because it was free, people were submitting like 10 films. Oh, yeah. And a lot of, some of them weren't even animated. They're just like whatever, like documentary. It's like, okay, this is cool and everything, but did you read the criteria you don't you're automatically disqualified and then the second year after we're like okay this is a thing we should get more serious about it we charge like five bucks for all films to be submitted right and it went down to like 200 films (laughs) so it dropped a thousand films in one year just because we implemented that small fee Mm -hmm. to enter but we didn't have near the amount of random stuff Right. We had a lot of people who were focused and serious. I mean, you still have some random stuff, but nothing near the extent. So we last held the Animation Fest in 2020. It was supposed to be at the Emmaus Theater, but then, you know, everything shut down because of the pandemic. And then for the last couple of years, we just haven't had it because trying to figure out where we're going and and what's, you know, the next step for the gallery. And Jay, you've been kind of bugging me to do it, which I'm glad you have. I mean, it's my... It's... A passion project. But, you know, it's something that, honestly, we probably shouldn't have stopped in the first place. Right. But because the pandemic, it set things back so far, we had to kind of choose what to do and not to do. Correct. And the last two years, we really tried hard to bring back Arts Fest, and that was our focus. And this is a much, much, much smaller and more doable thing than Arts Fest. Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to be doing it at the Amaze Theater. 
It's going to be in mid-July. We're going to be announcing the date very, very soon. And submissions will actually open on December 1st. December 1st. So early submissions will be December and January. So get your films in early. Save yourself a few bucks. We're going to give a big cash prize for winning film. We're going to give several cash prizes this year. Yeah, we'll do a few. We're going to do a few cash prizes. And we're working with Emmaus to do a big opening night block party celebration for the filmmakers and anyone with the VIP pass and anyone involved in the festival and get get Emmaus involved because we want to share these things. We don't want to just keep them inside and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm super excited. What? I love going through the films, man. It's like such a pleasure. What are you most excited for, Jay? Going through the films, finding yeah. finding stuff, yeah. It's my favorite. Cuz I know you told me that you actually there's certain artists that you listen to now, musicians that music videos were submitted yeah. for the festival. Yeah. You found them because of those films. Yeah, it's incredible. It's and almost all so the music cool. videos that you love, you and I both like, this is incredible. Oh, yeah, I revisit them all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So what do you think about the Animation Fest, Rob? I mean, I've only ever actually been to one that I can recall, but I thought it was really cool. I mean, the fact that these submissions are coming from all over the world was awesome. And like, it's just literally the, like, the idea that they're coming from all over the planet directly to, you know, at that time, the main gallery to that screen was awesome. I just counted the number of countries that submitted, where films were submitted from, the last festival we did, 41 countries. That's cool. So fucking cool. That's so cool. And we had like next to nothing in marketing because we didn't have any interns at that point. I didn't have any volunteers focusing on marketing. It was literally me doing most of the work by myself. And then we had Lab212 was helping us at the time Mm -hmm. do a little bit of marketing. And that was it. So this year, we think it's going to be way bigger. I think we can probably hit maybe 50 countries this year. Because we're going to have dedicated marketing people. We're hoping this podcast will be a platform to get the word out. Maybe bring on animators because what's cool about this podcast is we don't have to have people sitting here physically in my office to have them on the podcast. Like in the case of Mark Malera, my writer friend from Los Angeles, we can phone people in and do that as well, Mm -hmm. which I plan on doing more of that in the future. The reason I do so much of these in person is I like having the in-person conversations, but also we know so many fascinating artists around here. Yeah, we got a lot of people to get through, yeah. There's so many people here in the area, and I'm trying as much as I can to time podcast episodes with things happening at the gallery because, like I said, we're choosy about what we do here. Because when we do shows, that means we're not working on our own art. And I, for one, I value my time a lot. Only because you realize as you get older how limited time is. And how you spend it is very, very important. So anyone that does an event here, just know if you're hosting an event with us, we actually believe in you a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, that should say a whole lot about what you're doing. And we want to give you a platform. We're still building this podcast. But I think the Animation Fest is really an opportunity to open this. I think it's, it's going to be our biggest one. I'm I think so, too. It, and it's the first time it's going to be an actual theater. It's going to be Because in 2020, we had to do an online version, which it was cool, but it wasn't... You go from having it in a movie theater to have to yeah. show everything. And it was the first time we're going to have it in the theater. So, And shout out to Bobby over at the Amaze Theater. He's a good friend of mine. He loves what we do. He loves hosting this kind of stuff. And we are so grateful he owns that theater. Seriously. Oh, man, yeah. Because so many people could have ended up with that theater. And he did. And it's such a beautiful little place, too. Like, so well taken care of. And it just has that old-timey charm as soon as you walk through the front door. Such a neat little place. I think every city in town needs an Emmaus Theater, too. I mean, yeah, it's a, a cool spot. Emmaus really is like only it. a town of 11,000 people. And they have that historic theater, I think it was 1921, Mm -hmm. I think he said. Yeah. So it's over 100 years old. 
I mean, that's, that's an old theater, man. And the history there that we get to continue doing this and keeping it as a theater because Bobby's been telling me and we're eventually going to have him on the podcast and he can discuss this more in depth. He's struggling with the film screenings. He's doing really well with the comedy shows. He does comedy shows almost every weekend. He's done live music. Those do really well. But the film screenings are really tough for him. Just like me, as the first half of this episode proves, I'm a cinephile. I'm a movie junkie. I love it. I live it. He's the same way, which is why we initially bonded. And he was just telling me this past Wednesday when we had the Dusty Can screening, he doesn't care how bad the film screenings go. He can't give up on it. So fortunately, the tide seems to be turning where people want those in-person experiences more, but it's still really hard for him to get people out there and support that. So one of the reasons we do this in July is that's one of the really, really slow times for theaters. July and August are typically the slowest times for movie theaters because everyone's taking vacation. They're doing outdoorsy stuff. So we want to take the slowest time of year for this theater and really try to make it something special. Mm -hmm. And he likes that. He appreciates it. And we're a small crew and we we do a lot here. So if anyone listening, especially if you're in the Valley, you don't have to be. You can do this remotely. We are looking for people to help us with the Animation Fest, whether that's going through films, helping to market, helping to organize it. There's a lot of moving components of this. If you're a fan of film and animation and you want to get involved with something, we're very homegrown. We're very DIY. We would love the help. I think this is a great opportunity for college kids. Oh, 100%. Because this is going to be a legitimate festival. We are trying to build this up. And the whole title, Open World, for me, there's a lot in the name. I love the name so much. And we went over literally hundreds of names. I have a list somewhere of all the hundreds of different ideas I was trying to go through. And ultimately, why we settled on open world is I kind of consider video gaming an interactive form of animation to begin with. If you think about it, it is. Right. And open world gaming, there are no set levels. You just kind of go out and explore. And I like that idea of animation where it's not just set to traditional types of animation, 2D, 3D, claymation. Yeah, we, we use it all. We play we, it all. We try, we, we've done VR animations before, which we want to do VR animations again this year. We have a friend of ours who was talking about doing AR animations. So there's animation and it's interactive on top of that with your phone and, and your smartphone like apps and stuff like that. Right. So I'm interested to see where this is going to go as far as VR animation. Like you Definitely. and I were talking, remember, remember the one program you used at Brewworks the one time? Yes. Where you tilt were painting? Brush, tilt brush. Tilt brush. Mm. And you and I were talking about it. I'm not a painter, so I didn't really use it. But you did this like really cool painting quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I got to put the headset on and I got to go in and walk around your painting. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. insane. And, and it's we were blown away by how interesting that was in general. But then you and I both realized like, shit, this is the start of this. This yeah. is you sketching. Yeah. Imagine when people start applying this to animation. It's going to be groundbreaking. Absolutely. It's going to be a totally new thing. So I'm fascinated by where this is going to go. I love animation. No one really gives animation love in the Valley. So I think it's very important we do this. And again, if you'd like to get involved, just reach out to us. You know, you can send us a message through any of the podcast social medias. You can send us an email, any of that fun stuff. And I guess in general, we, you know, we're always kind of open to additional help, Rob, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking for volunteers to help uh, one way or another, whether it be, you know, at shows or just around one of the many little mini environments we have here in the building, the print shop, the workshop, any of those spaces, film archive. Absolutely. Yeah, we rely a lot on the AG crew. And, you know, just the the artist friends that we have to get things done. But the thing is, the more people we have helping, 
the more it enables us to do. So if you kind of dig what the AG is doing and you want to see more or you want to see it bigger and you want to see things happening not just in the Valley but in other states or even other countries, that's all very doable. And I think it starts with building a bigger team of people that want to get behind and be a part of these events. We have one more music show this month, the 25th. Yep. The A-Knots are playing. We got a punk and a hardcore yeah. show. The A-Knots, the Do-Whats, the Karens, and Suburban Downgrade. That is the headliner for the evening. I'm glad you were able to remember that. Now we don't have to <laughs> edit anything. And then we have uh, Brennan Dominguez is yeah. doing a pop-up art show on Wednesday, December 13th here at the Alternative Gallery at 6 to 9 p.m. He's doing a big announcement this week. He gave nice. he gave people an early preview at the show this weekend. So if you were here for the show, you were lucky enough to see what he's up to. But that's going to be great. I, I love him. We're going to do a podcast episode with him, too, to oh, coincide nice. with his, his show. He's great. I think he's going to be a big part of the gallery moving forward. And he has a lot of artists that he knows that want to be involved with the gallery and have workspace and get involved. So towards the end of the year, we're really going to peel back the layers of what the future has in store. But already looking down the road from here, it's looking pretty damn good. Yeah, man, I'm excited yeah, I'm for the future. For it. A lot of new energy, new ventures, old ventures coming back into the mix, Animation Fest. We're trying with Arts Fest, but... There's no guarantee. You know, it's, it all comes down to the money. If we have the money to do it, we will. But it's super expensive. You're talking like $100,000 to make an Arts Fest happen. So yeah, really. Not that we don't want to do it, but without yeah. that money, we don't want to scrap everything we're going to do for 2024 just to do this one thing yeah. to potentially set ourselves back another year. That's what it would be. So I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. We are trying, but there is no guarantee. It's going to be a year chock full of events and yeah, new man. things happening. More artist takeovers, more open houses. I'm really excited for when we do that first open house with all the new resident artists. Yeah, that's so, going to be that's going to be a packed house that night. Look for that in early 2024 when we do the next open house here at Cigar Factory, and we have a brand new lineup of artists in the mix. It's going to be awesome. I'm super excited. excited. So everyone, keep your eyes peeled for everything happening at the AG. You could check us out at thealternativegallery.com or our socials or, of course, the Art Bazaar podcast. Give us some likes. Give us some love. Subscribe. Share. Tell your friends about us. And if you're an interesting creative folk, bug us to be on the show. Well, guys, it was great chatting. We'll have Always. to do this again very, very soon. Yeah, peace. See ya. See ya.